Come on, make some noise if you're excited about being able to make declarations like that. I'll tell you this much, there's no other people group on planet Earth, there's no other human beings that can make declarations, sing that with that much hope, other than people that have committed their lives to following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I love being able to stand backstage and declare that goodness, that truth, that, that God is the one who is able to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. And I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know where you find yourself at right this moment, but can I tell you, you are with a group of people fully surrendered and committed to knowing that God is the one who can take whatever situation you're going through and he can turn it for good. Jesus, in this moment, I just pray for us, God, as we submit our hearts to your word, would you instruct us and guide us and encourage us? Would you bolster and build our faith in ways that words cannot, songs cannot, moments of solitude cannot? But God, we need a, a move of your spirit. We need you to speak to us. We need you to, to, to cross paths with us today, God. So we, we submit everything that we're going through in this life right now, God, every battle, every struggle, every frustration, every sickness, every ailment, God, every ounce of friction in our lives, God, we submit it to you today, King of kings, Lord of lords, do what you will with our lives, the one who can take even what the enemy meant for evil and for harm in our lives, and you can turn it around for good. God, we will sit back and watch in faith, knowing that even the most dire of circumstances can be used and will be used for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, amen. You can be seated, you can be seated, you can be seated. I'm fired up today. I am fired up today. I'm already a couple uh, energy drinks in. I'm fired up. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I want to say welcome to all of you that are joining us uh, this weekend. We're in a series that we're calling Legacies. We're talking about what's going to be left even after your life is gone, even after your last and final breath, what kind of a legacy, what kind of a gift will you leave for those who knew you? People that could encounter you, people who, who maybe did relationship with you, what will be the reward or the blessing that you will leave even when your days are gone? And I don't know about you, but last weekend fired me right up. If you didn't hear the message from our senior pastor, go to YouTube right this second. Make sure that you watch it because it was unbelievable. And I feel like it set us up perfectly for these next few weeks as we're going to be looking at what it means to leave a legacy. And I think for me, one of the things that's daunting is the idea of leaving a legacy seems almost insurmountable, like too big, right? It's like trying to boil the ocean. It's, it's a big task. It feels like an impossible task, especially for somebody that's like me. Most days, I don't even remember to take a multivitamin. So when I hear messages about leaving a legacy, it feels like it might be a little bit out of my reach. I might need a little bit more time to just figure out how to pay bills on time, how to brush my teeth before I go to work. But one of the things that I've been encouraged on through God's word, especially as I've been taking some time to really prepare what I felt like God wanted to speak to our church this weekend is that legacies were meant to be simple. I don't mean legacies are meant to be easy, but leaving a legacy was intended to be simple. And I think that one of the things that 
becomes a friction point for a lot of us as we look to leave a legacy. It's not a lack of ambition. Every single one of us wants to make our lives count, no matter where you find yourself. You want to live a life of purpose, do something that matters. It's not a lack of ambition. It's, it's not a lack of education or schooling. It's not a, a lack of resources or privilege. It's not a lack of training. It's, it's, it's not your skin color. It's not the city that you grew up in. Like These things are not limiting factors because we know through the course of history, some of the most prolific, profound lives that were ever lived were born from situations that we look like and go, they got off on the wrong foot. They didn't have opportunity. They weren't given privilege the way that we were. They didn't have this. They didn't have that. They were born from ashes and left a legacy. And so I believe it's not the ambition. It's not the wrong motives. But I feel like for a lot of us, when we look at the idea of leaving a legacy, we just don't really know where our legacy is born from. Like, how, how do I start? What's the infancy stage of me actually leaving a legacy? And what I want to preach on this weekend, if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to, there's free ice cream in heaven for every person that takes notes. It's like a cruise ship. The title of my message this weekend is Where Legacies Are Born. Where Legacies Are Born. God, we just surrender our hearts to you. We pray that you would quiet the noise of our lives. God, so many of us come into church week in and week out, and we leave the same person. And God, my prayer is this weekend that would not be the case. God, there's people joining us for the first time, trying to maybe just take a little glimpse behind the curtain of what church looks like as they're joining us at our online campus. And God, I just pray, would you encounter them in a, in a particular way that they leave their screen, they leave this podcast, they leave YouTube changed forever. God, you're the only one that can do that. And so God, we submit our lives before you. Would you speak to us? And God, I just want to take a moment right now and lift up our nation right now. God, as a nation, we are so clouded with noise, so clouded with angst, so clouded with disunity, so clouded with preconceived judgments. Uh, God, our, our nation is waging war against itself on so many levels. And so, God, I just pray today that your people, the people of God, would be, be known for the unity that they brought despite any circumstances that happen um, morally, any circumstances that, that, that happen socially, any circumstances that happen politically and economically. God, I pray that we would be a glue for our nation. God, we have been known as a nation that is built upon you, truth of your word, one nation under God. God, I pray that if we have anything that we can unify over during this season, it would be the fact that we're unified under God as overseer and Lord of our nation. God, we need you during this time. Would you use us, God, as tens of thousands of people joined together calling this place home. God, we unified with a unified heart, God, we just say, would you unify us as a nation? Would you heal our land? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. There's an interesting story that I think helps us lay a little bit of a foundation for what it looks like to build a legacy. And it's an, it's an unlikely story. And most people don't read this through the lens of a legacy. But I want to I take some time and dive into this because I think as it, as it relates to our lives, some of the Achilles heel that keeps us from living a life of purpose, fulfilling the destiny that was given to us by God, walking in our giftings, walking in a, a, what it will eventually become a wake of our legacy when our breaths are gone. This unlocks a few things that are struggle points, intention points for us 
And I want to start off reading in John chapter 5, verse 1. And it starts off this way. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, this is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3 says, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. And then they list them for us, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So I just want to say before we dive into this scripture, that anytime Jesus interacted with people, most of the time it was a foreshadowing of what he was intending to do in the spiritual realm. So if he would meet somebody with a physical infirmity, we could associate it with a spiritual infirmity that we might have or that he might deliver us from. So as Jesus is strolling down and comes to this pool of Bethesda, he sees what is a mass of blind people, paralyzed people, and lame people. For us, we can associate it with people that are spiritually blind, people that are spiritually incapable of living life, moving forward, doing the work of God. And he comes up to these people, and as I'm reading this, it makes me think a lot about when we're trying to leave a legacy... Most of us, when we're really honest with ourselves in the quietness of our own heart, I think we're going to find that we have a lot in common with this group that Jesus encounters at the Pool of Bethesda. There's a lot of you that are listening, and as you think about leaving a legacy or, or fulfilling God's purposes for your life, you feel like somewhere along the line, you've had a disability, you've had a disadvantage, which, is, which has made living life the way God intended very difficult for you. But Jesus says that he goes out of his way, and John accounts that Jesus goes out of his way to this pool of Bethesda where all of these sick, lame, and disabled people are resting. What's interesting is John kind of gives this blanket statement of who these people are. Blind people, paralyzed people, lame people. It made me think about in a lot of ways, these people were the way that they were because they never had the opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus. See, all throughout the New Testament, when Jesus encountered people that were blind, lame, and paralyzed, he healed them. These were people who had never had a chance to have an encounter with Jesus. It made me start thinking about a lot of our legacies. So many of us, without an encounter with Jesus, will breathe our last breath as spiritually blind, spiritually paralyzed, spiritually lame. We lived great lives, but we never accomplished anything of significance. And he goes, these are just blind people, paralyzed people, lame people. And I thought about how many times I've interacted with people, especially in our church and in our cities. And when you ask them about their family members, have you ever heard somebody go, ah, yeah, my dad, he was, he was an alcoholic. And the discussion yeah, my, my, my dad was a workaholic. He was never really home. Didn't really know him. My mom was a control freak. Like she was manipulative. He was, he was cheap. Uh, she, she was never home. He was a womanizer. We've heard people boil people's lives down to the one and very singular thing that they were never able to break free from in their life. We know if, if you've ever interacted with those kind of people, they lived lives much more significant than being an alcoholic. 
But there's something about us that wants to associate people with the most repeated cyclical cycles, and for most of us, it will be the very thing we never allowed God to heal in our lives if we're not careful. If we don't have an encounter with Christ, what will live on after us is the thing we never let God heal. And as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, we have thousands of people across the world listening to this message that probably feel like this. If I don't break out of this cycle, my kids are going to know me as an absent father. If I don't break out of this cycle, my kids are just going to remember me by the amount of debt I left for them. If I don't figure this out, my kids are never going to have a relationship with me, and they won't even have memories of me around who I really was at my core. They'll know me as absent, distant, workaholic. If we aren't careful, we'll be remembered from the very thing we never allowed God to heal. But John goes on, and look what he says. He begins to single out one man in particular. Everybody say one man. Come on online, drop it in the chat. Say one man, one man. In verse 5 of chapter five, it says, one man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Don't just breeze past this. Think about that. 38 years in this room. That's older than most people are in this room with exception to Sean. 38 years is a long time. And this man has been crippled and disabled for 38 years. Verse six says, and when Jesus saw him, everybody say when he saw him. When he saw him there, and if you have your Bible, circle this word, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a brilliant question, do you want to get well? Now, before we get to Jesus' question, I want to just take a quick second and talk about the fact that the Bible says when Jesus learned. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was God in the flesh, fully God while being fully man. He was omniscient. He knew everything. But the Bible says when Jesus learned that this man had been in his disability for a long time, he asked him a question, meaning there was something about Jesus. He was on the hunt. Jesus was trying to to find somebody who, who, who had been disabled and sick and broken and crippled and paralyzed for so long. I just believe he was looking for somebody that had given up. Have you ever been stuck in an addiction for so long? You have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to break free, yet you're still there. The Bible says Jesus singled out the man who had been there for a long time time. I think Jesus had a point to prove. Jesus didn't go to this place to preach to the masses, to heal the masses. He singled out one particular guy. And I just got faith in my heart this weekend that out of all the masses that will communicate to, my hope this weekend is that there might be one person who has been stuck in a situation for so long that this message just might give them hope that change is possible. It just might give them hope that healing is possible. He found one man who had been trapped in his infirmity for a long time, and then he asked them this question, which at face value seems very dumb, but he's Jesus, so I got to just tell you, it's not a dumb question. He knew what he was asking. He says, do you want to get well? 
You see, this pool was a pool where the crippled would go to eventually find healing. This, this pool, the Bible says, it's been taken out of some of our, uh, of our translations, but the Bible says that from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir the waters, and when it would be stirred, you would have to get into the pool and you would find healing. So this man's been gathering at this pool of Bethesda, hoping for his opportunity to be healed. A lot of the same way, a lot of you have been showing up to church time in and time out, week in and week out. You're going to your life group. You're spending time in God's word with hopes that what's broken on the inside will be healed. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? It would kind of be like me asking those of you in this room today, do you want to be like Christ? Most of us go, Duh. Do you want to grow spiritually? Duh. Do you want to leave a legacy? Duh. But the question I think is very profound because oh, here's one thing that I know, whether you're watching in a coffee shop in the quietness of your own home or you're sitting in a building, the people around you all have some form of a spiritual disability. And if I would ask you, do you want to be made well? You would say, yes, I want to be made well. And the follow-up question is then why aren't we well, Jesus knew exactly what he was asking this man. Of course he wants to be well. But I think Jesus was trying to get to the root question, Andrew. You've been trying for so long. Do you still have hope that you can change? Do you still have hope that your legacy can change? I know your dad was an alcoholic and you grew up in an abuseful home, but, but do you really want to change your legacy? Do you really want to be different? Do you really want God to heal you? Because the fact of the matter is our rooms and people watching around the world right now, our lives are riddled with addictions to pornography and alcohol and spending and privilege and, and, and success. Our lives are riddled with it. And if I would say, do you want to be made well? Most of you would go, yeah, but I've tried and it didn't work. So the question is, do you still want to be well? Do you still have hope that God can change your situation? But here's the problem that a lot of us face. For me, I'm all about God changing my circumstances. But when it comes to actually changing me, that's a whole new story. You see, so many of us find ourselves in these cycles, in these patterns, in these behavioral issues, in relational trauma, not because we need a circumstantial situation changed, but there's something deep on the inside that we're unwilling to allow God to change. God knew, listen, I'm going to look at this guy who's been crippled for a long time. You want to be made well on surface value. Intuitively, you want to be made well, but he goes, can I change something on the inside of you? Red Rocks Church, I'm, I'm wondering if the situation you're in is God after changing something inside of you, not just clearing out your circumstances. What's God trying to do in your life right now? What form of sin has been manifesting, which is really just like the canary in the coal mine going, there's something wrong. We got people praying, God, take away the desire for pornography. And he's going, no, 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 no. I just want to address your desires. 
There's something in you that wants it. There's something in you that wants to drink more. There's something in you that wants to find a mistress. There's something inside of you that wants the bigger promotion, and you'll give anything up for it. I want to address what is in you, not just what's happening to you. I wonder what's God trying to do in your life right now. Look what happens next. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And in verse 7, this guy gives Jesus the response that he wasn't necessarily looking for. Any of you ever done that? You're caught, so you come up with your excuse, and it's a valid excuse. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have nobody to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And watch this. Repeat this after me. He says, while I am trying. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He goes, sir, listen, I'm not like everybody else. You see, I'm here, but I'm paralyzed. I can't just get to the pool the way that everybody else can. I I can't move. I've tried, but every time I try to get down there, somebody goes in front of me. I know how to be made well. I just can't. I know how to be made well. I just can't. Have you ever been in a situation where you know how to be well, you just can't? You know how to break addiction, you just can't. You know how to change your marriage, it just doesn't seem to work for you. This guy's going, I, I, I know how, but I can't. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to lose weight, I just can't. I'm trying to get in God's word, Pastor Sean, I just can't. I know I should pray more, I just can't. I want to leave a legacy, I just can't. You see, it's the, it's the, the language of humans. We just feel crippled by our inability to do what we know we want to do deep down inside. I'm trying. You see, I think Jesus is getting to the fatigue of the matter. Have you ever tried something so long? That if somebody asked you, you would tell them, oh, yeah, I'm still trying, but you've given up. I think Jesus finds this man in this situation. Do you want to be made well? And he goes, I'm trying. I've tried so many times. I'm trying to save my marriage. I'm trying to get debt free. I'm trying to get healthy again. I'm trying to restore things with my family. I'm, God, I'm trying. And I think it's the most earnest thing that he said. I'm trying. I think he's telling the truth. I'm trying. I just can't. Then he says, every time I try to get into the pool, someone goes in front of me. I just can't. There's nobody here that can help me. And that was true five minutes ago. But now he's face to face with the one person that can change his story around. He just doesn't know it. I wonder how many people are listening this weekend. You're in the presence of God. He is the one that can change your life, restore all things, make right what has been made wrong, everything that the enemy meant for evil. He can turn it for good. You just don't really realize it. Do you know who you're in the presence of? Do you know what this message and this worship and this church is pointing people to? Because if you knew, our excuse wouldn't be, nobody's here to help me. You would go, I got everything I need in God. He is with me. He is here. That might have been true a year ago, but it ain't true now. And look what happens in verse 8. 
It says, then Jesus said to him, get up. Somebody say, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I love this. Listen to this progression. Every word in scripture is perfectly and beautifully placed. It says, at once the man was cured. At once the man was cured. Listen to Jesus' progression. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Then what happens is he's cured. He picks up his mat, and he walks. It never says he tried to get up. He grabbed his mat, and he walked. My question is, Jesus, how did you get a guy? I know you're God. How do you get a guy who's been crippled for 38 years to get up? He's tried to get up. Anybody tried to get free? See, listen to the progression. It never says the man got up. No, it says the man was cured, and then he grabbed his mat, and then he walked. This is important because it means that as this man was trying to get up, he was cured. As he was getting up, he was being cured. As he was standing, as he was moving, God was healing him. The next progression wasn't stand up once you're healed. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a little tingly feeling in your Achilles, and you're going to get your power back and then get up. Jesus first said, get up, which meant trust me. Jesus didn't say, try again, try harder. I'll help you. Give me your hand. I'll pull you up. He said, get up. And this man was given a situation as he's laying down on the ground. He's left with the decision, will I trust what God has instructed and I promise you, this is the, 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 the tension point for all of us to get freedom. Will you trust what God has said? Because I promise you, it is in the trusting, not the trying, that your healing will come. It is in trusting in God, not in trying to trust God, that your legacy will build. Legacies, friends, they're never built off of trying. Legacies are built off of trusting. And here this man is, he's sitting here, paralyzed, and Jesus goes, get up. Now, what are you going to do with that? And I wonder how many people, you have heard the truth preached, but you haven't believed it on the inside, so you laid there on your mat, still crippled, unable to move from the place where you were, when Jesus the whole time is going, you can get up. You can be free. You can change your legacy. You can get out of addiction. You could walk in a calling that supersedes anything you could have ever imagined. You could walk in a power and an authority in your life that you would not imagine. But can you believe what I have said? Get up. Don't try again. Trust me. Trust me. When I was in college, a group of us from my dorm, we would travel, it was a couple hours away to this, this quarry with these cliffs, and we'd go cliff diving. And it was when the GoPros were all coming out, so we'd film all this footage and make this highlight reel, hoping that the X Games would pick us up. And we'd always start off with one that was about the height of this stage, and we'd run and do flips, and it was so cool. And then we'd, we'd progress to the 15-foot one, and then the 20-foot one, and then the 30-foot one. And I can remember we did one 
It felt like 7,000 feet in the air, but it was probably 50 feet. And I remember standing at the edge. I'm not really good with heights. I know you're like, this guy's probably not afraid of anything. It's false. <laughs> I'm standing on the edge. Every one of my doormates has jumped. They're all just floating in the water, trying to keep afloat. They're getting tired. And I, guys, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It was everything in me to not just like soil my pants. I'm scared. My knees are knocking. I want to jump so badly. I want to jump. And they're like, jump. And I'm like, I'm trying. And they're like, jump, chicken. I'm like, I'm trying. I can't. My legs don't work. And one of the guys said, quit trying and jump. And I've never forgotten that. Because there's been situations in my life that have followed where it feels like a big jump of faith. And I'm going, I'm trying to trust you, God. I'm trying to tithe. I know you want me to be generous. Oh, I know you want me to get in the word. I know you want me to carve time out of my busy schedule to sit and pray. I'm trying. Can I just tell you, quit trying and start trusting. The moment that I trusted that even after I jumped, I wasn't going to die, but I was going to live to tell about it. I could look down at the sea of people who went before me and go, I can make it too. And so I ran and I jumped. We got some sick footage and I can live to tell the story, but it would have never happened if I never trusted Friends, you'll never build a great legacy through trying. When your life will change is when you begin to make the conscious decision, God, I am going to begin to trust you. I'm going to begin to trust what your word says. I'm going to begin to trust you and place myself in situations where on my own I'm afraid, but I'm with you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to get me through it. I was talking with Sean, and he goes, Bro, half the fun of building a legacy is in the jump. If you don't jump, you can't build a legacy. If you don't jump, you don't get to tell the stories. If you don't jump, nobody leaves with a memory. And some of you are so tired, you're so worn out, you've been trying for so long, standing on the edge of the cliff for the thing God's leading you to do, for the restoration in your marriage, for reconciliation in your own heart, to break a root of bondage that you have struggled with since your teens, and now you're an old man. Now is the time to begin to put God's word to the test. Will you jump? Reminded me of Star Wars movies. Yoda, Luke Skywalker. Yoda tells him, you gotta just unlearn some things. Luke looks at Yoda and goes, I'll give it a try. Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. Friends, either we're gonna leave a legacy or we won't. Can I just tell you, don't just try to leave a legacy. Last week, Sean Johnson told us that good intentions don't leave good legacies. It's a legacy of trying. There's no crying in baseball, no trying in legacies. As I was sitting and talking with Sean, Guys, can we just give it up for our senior pastor? Isn't he awesome? 
I was talking to him, sharing my heart with what I wanted to preach, and he's like, bro, just look at the whole hall of faith, all the greats from scripture. If you look at the legacies that they left, they were all broken people, most of them murderers, full of anger, full of insecurities, full of backbiting. They were adulterers. But the thing that separated them from everybody else was their ability to trust God, even when other people couldn't muster up the strength to do so. You can look at all the people that left a legacy that we're talking about thousands of years from now. People that, that God Almighty went, look at these guys, it's amazing. Look at what sets them apart. It was their ability to trust God when circumstances were unfavorable. It was their ability to trust God when the outcome was unknown. Friends, look at Abraham. God promises Abraham to give him a land of inheritance, and he just says, I'm not going to tell you where to go, just go, and I'm going to give it to you. And Abraham goes, aren't you going to tell me which way to go? And God says, go. So Abraham just sets out. You don't just set out to an unknown land based on an unknown promise of what an unknown land is going to be like and look like, and when do I arrive there, and how do I know when I'm there? You don't go out on a journey like that unless you trust in God. And then God promises Abraham, even into the, the late years of his life, he goes, I'm going to give you a son. And he's past the childbearing years. He's old, okay? He's old, but he, he knew within himself, he said, God promised me that I'm going to have a kid, and I will not relent until that promise is fulfilled. You're not an old man hoping for a, a really a, 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 an unforeseen child unless you trust in God. God gives him a child. And then God says, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. Without hesitation, Abraham loads up his son with a bundle of sticks and a blade to go and sacrifice his son. You don't head up a hill with your son to sacrifice him unless you trust in God. Look at the life of Moses. God says, I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh. Tell him all those millions of slaves you have. Yeah, those are God's people. You need to let them go. You don't confront Pharaoh unless you trust God. Think about Noah for a second. He's never seen rain in his life, and God says, rain's coming. He's like, what's rain? He's like, just wait. You'll, you'll figure it out. He says, what's rain? And God says, just build a boat. It's coming. It's gonna, I'm going to flood the earth with it. There's going to be water everywhere. I know you've never even heard of this. You've never seen it. People are going to look at you and think that you're crazy. You don't build a boat when you've never seen rain, even in the scoffing voices of the people around you, unless you trust in God. Friends, it was trust that differentiated people. Look at Joshua. God said, listen, I want you to take your army. There's these huge fortified walls called Jericho. I want you to take your people, and I want you to walk around them. You got it? And he's like, just walk. And he's like, yeah, just walk. And then they're going to fall over. And he's like, they're fortified. You can ride chariots on them. He said, walk around them seven times. And on the seventh time, I promise you, these walls will fall. He rallied the troops and they began walking. Lap one, lap two, lap three, lap four, lap five, lap six. You feel like an idiot. Unless you trust God. 
Friends, you'll never leave a legacy unless you trust God. You can look at the life of Rahab. You can look at the life of Ruth. You can look at the life of David and Samuel. Everything that differentiated these people, these murderers, these sinners like you and I, the one defining characteristic is that they had an unwavering trust in what God said is true. If you're listening, I want to pray for three types of people today, and then I'm going to be done. Then the real work starts. The first group that I want to pray for is the people that you're sitting in this room. You know that God's been asking you to do something. You've just been unwilling or too scared to do so. I want to pray for you today that the word of God would build your faith to say yes. Even when it's uncertain, I'm going to say yes. Even when I don't know the outcome, I'm gonna trust. I wanna pray for you. If that's you in this place or watching from wherever you're watching from, can you just in the quietness of your own heart go, God, that's me. That's me. The second group that I wanna pray for is Christians. You're listening and you're going, if I'm really honest, I'm just been tired of God trying to use me. Somewhere along the way, I've just gotten disinterested, disconnected, and if I'm honest, I don't really feel like God's tugging me towards something right now. I don't feel like he's speaking. I don't feel like he's asking something of me. I want to pray today that God would speak louder than he ever has before and give you clarity in this season to tackle some things that are going to matter even when you're gone. The third group of people that I want to talk to are the people that your first step in trusting in Jesus is going to be saying, God, would you be Lord of my life? Would you lead the way? Would you guide me? Would you be my king? God, I'm tired of trying to do life my way. I want to begin to trust you to do life your way. I'm tired of trying to live right. I, I want to trust you that you will make me right. I'm, try I'm tired of trying to, to get out of addiction. I'm ready to trust you to set me free. If that's you, I want to pray for you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that he died to make you well, to heal you and to forgive you of every one of your sins, you will be saved saved, meaning you can have life and life to the full now and forevermore. If that's you, wherever you're watching from, I want to pray for you today that this would be a defining moment. God, across all of our locations around the world, Jesus, I want to pray for this first group of people that they know you've been talking to them. They know you've placed some God-sized dreams. They know you've placed some things in front of them that they just need to trust and to obey. God, I pray today, would you give them courage and strength, not by their might, but by your word, that they would trust it and it would motivate them to make a difference. God, the second group, I pray for those who have been Christians. They've been following you, but somewhere along the lines, they feel like you've gone quiet. You've stopped asking. You've stopped placing dreams in their heart. God, I pray today, would you let dreams be restored? Would you let visions be restored? Hopes for people's lives be restored? Would you do a new work in people today? And God, last but certainly not least, I pray for every single person that has never made you Lord of their life. The greatest and primary thing that they can do to make you Lord would be to trust them, to trust you with the entirety of their life. God, we give you their sin, we give you their future, we give you their past, would you heal it? And would you use them to leave an amazing legacy here on earth? God, in this moment, we celebrate with all of heaven as people are moving from death to life. 
from trying to trusting, from hoping for a one day someday to placing all of their hope and their trust in you, the unshakable rock of our salvation. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, Come on, hey, if you just gave your life to Christ, I wanna encourage you, push the raise hand button, whatever platform you're walking on. Uh, we wanna be able to give you some resources to help you move forward. This is the greatest day of your life. Time to put aside the trying and begin trusting God for the fullness, the restoration, the healing, the dreams, the plans, and you watch as you move from trying to trusting, you're gonna leave an amazing legacy because trust is where legacies are born. I wanna do one quick encouragement before we go into worship and we get fired up and we thank God for his faithfulness. If you're in here this weekend and you don't know the promises of God, you don't know the words to lean on, go to our app or go to uh, Red Rocks Worship Instagram account. I'm gonna give you some amazing promises that you can lean upon to help you begin to build confidence to say yes when times are uncertain. And for those of you that are new to church, as we go into worship, you go, I don't know what promises to lean on. Can I just tell you this? The story of Jesus going to the paralyzed man lets us know that the God that we worship and the God that we serve, he is so passionate about going to the one that needs restoration. Can I tell you, if you're in that place this weekend, God wants nothing more than to impact your life. And the way that he does that is through love. So if you don't know anything about God, just imagine the most loving, caring, thoughtful being in the world and say, what would that God who loves me so much, what would he want for me? And let's begin to lean into the unconditional, reckless, audacious love of God, Red Rocks Church. Let's celebrate that our legacy won't be built upon our trying and our effort, but it will be built upon the trust of the Lord who is the rock of the ages. Let's worship.